Tools of Type 1's podcast, episode 19, The Brzezowski Family. I didn't know this family uh, before last year, before Jerry flew his plane up to Dallas from Houston to go skydiving with us early, early, early on a Saturday morning. And Sam and the girls drove up as well. Uh, They've got their Beyond Type 1 license plate, vanity plate on their car. Uh, They are amazing advocates for people with diabetes and... This interview is a little bit different for Tools of Type 1s. Some of the people who I reached out to asked me to do a more traditional interview where I'm on talking to them. So this is a more free-flowing, one of those free-flowing episodes on Tools of Type 1s. And it really did stop me in my tracks. Jerry and Sam's insights as to not only Jerry's life with Type 1, but also Vivian's life uh, with Type 1 diabetes, their daughter. Um, what that's been like for their family and how they've had to adjust and how they've really dove into the diabetes community with both feet. Um, I'm very grateful that I got to meet them in person multiple times, most recently at the Type 1 Nation here in Dallas. Uh, I've gone skydiving with Jerry. I've seen him jump out of a plane. Uh, It was comforting to know that he's been in the sky all over the place, over Texas, and he had no problem jumping out, so I just followed him. Uh, Sam goes deep into this interview about what it's like being a type 1 diabetes caregiver and what it's like not only for Vivian now, but also in the future uh, for the rest of their family. So stay tuned to this interview. It is incredibly powerful. I'm very grateful that the Brzezowski family uh, took the time to chat with me, and uh, I'm just glad that I got to hear it firsthand right away. This is the Tools of Type 1's podcast, episode 19, The Brzezowski Family. Stay tuned. I'm going to hit record here. Um, Vivian, why don't you tell everybody uh, your name, how old you are, and how long you've had diabetes? Mm-hmm. What's your name? What's your name? Vivian. And how old are you? Five. And how long have you had diabetes? Um, a long year. A long year? Since you were two? Mm-hmm. Since you were two years old. Awesome. Yeah. And uh, what it, uh, I'm trying to think, who's your who's your favorite person that you've met with uh, with diabetes? Um, Marie. Yeah, that's what I was looking for. I didn't, good, good for you. No coaching necessary. That was the right. I think that was always the right answer. <laughs> he does. She like Marie is one of her favorite people to play with. So. <laughs> Well, I know that's probably going to make Marie uh, have a panic attack when she hears this, but um, <laughs> but uh, that's a great answer. And um, what's your favorite thing to do, Vivian? What do you like to do? I like to go outside with my sister. Go outside and play? Mm-hmm. What else do you like to do? What did you do today? Um, After you got out of school, what did you go and do? Uh, Put a helmet on. And I went horseback riding. And you went horseback riding. You take riding lessons, right? I love horses. Yeah, so we do too. Very therapeutic, we think. <laughs> no doubt. I get to ride a lot of horses. I mm. have a lot of horses I know. Yeah. Oh, and I even ride a white one. Yeah. <laughs> I don't ride anymore. <laughs> that's so great Vi- uh, Vivian um, 
you do whatever you, whatever you and your parents decide you want to do, right? You're not you don't ever let uh, having diabetes hold you back, do you? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. You just do it, yeah? Yeah. I love it. <laughs> All right, well, thank you for talking to me. That was very you did very good. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, Isa Isa Dooley came on my podcast. I think she was a little bit younger than you when she came on. So you are, I think, the second youngest person who's ever been on my podcast. So this was awesome. Say thank you. Wow. Say thank you. It's such an honor. Thank you. I'm Jerry Brzozowski. We're uh, we live here in Montgomery, Texas. I'm originally from Corpus Christi, Texas. Um. I am uh, 22 years with type 1. I was diagnosed at 18 uh, upon graduation from high school. And I guess my connection is, is my wife and, and Vivian, honestly. <laughs> uh, I was 18 when I was diagnosed. So there weren't any camps or uh, kind of workshops for my age. So uh, luckily I was going into the medical profession. So I was my own project to a certain degree. <laughs> And I'm his wife, Samantha Brzozowski. Um, I am not originally from Texas. I am from Iowa, so I'm kind of the Midwestern Yankee. Um, and my connection to T1D is my husband, obviously, but to be honest, I really did not know that much about the disease until our daughter was diagnosed at two years of age. So it was then that I kind of dove headfirst into understanding how complicated this disease can be and how scary it can be at times, especially with young children. Um, and that kind of had a domino effect on, on how Jerry became connected. When I kind of, uh, go for something, I go all the way. There's not just a little bit. So I instantly started reaching out to other parents that had children with type one and that kind of led to, um, on Instagram meeting young adults with type one and me asking them questions and trying to get inside. I just kind of, I wanted to gather as much information as I possibly could because before Vivian was diagnosed, Jerry, he didn't hide his disease, but it wasn't something that he openly talked about to the point where knowing what I know now, um, I'm glad nothing really bad happened. Well, and I were married because I really, when I thought I knew what to do, I know now that I would not have known what to do. So, yeah, that's uh, that's us. That's that's so great, and uh, I, I do want to focus on a little bit too, Jerry. Uh, me, I was the same way. I sort of just managed my my T one D, and I was fine, and I just kind of was living my life carrying on not really too focused on talking about it or being externally facing with it and i'd go to a walk every now and then but you know i didn't consider myself very involved and then that changed what do you what do you think that is about guys with type one that we are just guys in general is that a is that a man thing that we just don't talk about things that we struggle with or are just focused on other things for me i was focused on uh like I say, undergrad, knowing that it was going to be a struggle to uh, first being diagnosed and then trying to manage it on top of school schedules and all that kind of jazz, um, and then putting my nose in the books uh, to get into vet school. 
Uh, I think that, yeah, some of it's the man thing. And then the other thing, too, nobody, I say nobody, nobody in my direct family was ever diagnosed with it. So it was kind of foreign um, and just the the not understanding of what it actually is from and what caused it. And so the unknowns of not being able to really talk about it in depth, I guess I, I'm more of a detailed person. I want to know <laughs> XYZ before I kind of talk about it. Um, and so not, not until I really got into probably my third year of undergrad in genetics is when I kind of looked at it and understood it more in depth. That's oh, great. That's very cool. And, and a very, a very good answer, a unique answer, I think like, and relatable, I think understanding, have, understanding the why and the how kind of before you really go out and talk about it is something that, Maybe more of us could do better at, I'm sure. Um, also very confusing because I was honestly pretty much diagnosed at the clinic that I worked at in high school. <laughs> An animal clinic, An not, animal not, a human, not a human hospital. <laughs> okay, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Now we got to hear the story. Right. So I've been drinking and peeing like it was going out of style. Luckily, my grandmother was the manager for the high school cafeteria, so I'd take two, three gallons of orange juice and stick them in the fridge there at the high school and just drink in between class, of course, peeing in between class. Also, I was 18. I was like, oh, dang, I didn't think I'd be wet in the bed at 18. So one day I got out of school and went to work, and of course, as soon as I got to work, I had to go use the restroom and walked out and said, God dang, is there a disease that makes you want to drink and pee like it's going out of style? And one of the technicians, which is kind of our equivalent to nurses, he's actually going to nursing school. And he says, come here. So he went and grabbed the glucometer from the clinic and pricked my finger, and it just said hi. He said, you need to, you need to go make an appointment. Have your, have your mom make an appointment with the doctor. And so she did, and I came back and said, oh, she said it would be about two weeks. He says, oh, no, 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 you need to make this seem more urgent. Um, so I was like, okay. So I went that evening, and I was at 675, and – as a GP, um, I was 80 pounds lighter than I am now, no, no difference in height. Um, he put me on glucophage, metformin. So I was like, okay, this will work until it didn't. Right. <laughs> so um, went to the Children's Hospital in Corpus and Driscoll's Children, Children's Hospital. And actually one of Sir Ponder used to work. And one of his nurses said that as soon as I get up to College Station, I need to make the trek to see him as probably one of his oldest pediatric patients. <laughs> um, so went, went up there and, um, at the time that was pumps were in the, in the fad and got to put on a desitronic pump and say la vie. Wow. Very cool. That's, uh, <laughs> I think you're the first person that, uh, I've talked to definitely on the podcast that was diagnosed at a veterinary clinic. So, um, <laughs> you know, I think that you should, Wear that badge with pride, my friend. Uh, okay, so what is uh, the Brzezowski family tool of type 1? So this is also going to be the title of your episode, but what's the one thing that a person living with type 1 could learn from you or your family's experience? I think as a married couple, um, and I've even met some people who have connected me with other young couples that the spouse lived with type one. Um, and 
their significant other didn't fully understand the disease. Knowing what I know now, I honestly, unless Vivian was diagnosed, I don't think that I would have ever fully understood what type one diabetes is like. And, and I don't live with it, but I'm the closest thing to it because of managing Vivian. And, um, <clears throat> it's scary for me to think Jerry is very good because he does, he does do medicine, although it's for animals, he's still in the medical field. And I think that that is, was my saving grace. But I know that there are many young couples out there who they could be on a hike somewhere. And if something happened to their spouse living with type one, they may not know what to do. So I, I learned a valuable lesson very early on that speaking to your spouse in depth about what to do in case there's an emergency, if they become incoherent, they're not able to advocate for themselves, how to advocate for them in a hospital. That's very scary. I learned very early on with Vivian that, you know, not all doctors know everything and going to an emergency room is not always a safe place. And you, as a parent of a child with type one, have to be their advocate in those situations. And it could very easily work the same with an adult. And it was, it was to the point that when Vivian was diagnosed, our neighbors who were all very close with, the first thing that they asked me was, oh my goodness, is type one running your family? And that was a huge eye-opening conversation. So I was like, well, her dad, Jerry, but they just didn't know. And it wasn't that he, again, tried to hide it. It was just, he manages it. He lives with it. It's not something Jerry's first and his diabetes is second. And that's how it looks to the outside world. So for me, I would say, I don't know if that necessarily answers your question, but that's for me what I would <laughs> say. Totally. That honestly, yeah, I don't know if there could be a better answer. That was very, very, that's great. That's awesome. And I think it's tough too, right? Cause you want for, you know, to use it as a metaphor, you want Jerry to come first, right? You want, but there's also this element of, you know, management, especially with young children. That's just a different level, right? Yes. Right. Yeah, exactly. So dot, 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 my husband's diabetic. What, what do I know? (laughs) (laughs) I know it's kind of hard to think of a, a caption or a title to, to put, I'm just racking my brain as something clever <laughs> that would be short. <laughs> but yeah, no, it, it's, I just, I've never been that, I guess you can say open about diabetes. Um, it Just because it is so complex and I even, I see a bunch of my colleagues' endocrine cases just because they don't want to deal with it. And it's like, well, I don't mind dealing with it I deal with it every day so it's a lot easier it's kind of like the back of my hand versus somebody that doesn't live with the disease like that so um yeah it it, again for for me it's trying to make it as understandable and relatable as possible well and I think there's such a practical element to it because it really is like all the basic things that you just take for granted as a person without diabetes when you have to manage it they're you know eating and exercising those are all very normal human things that just take a little bit of extra thought sleeping you know you don't 
the things you worry about as a type one parent or as a type one are not the same things that people who don't have diabetes worry about when they go to sleep, uh, or when their kids go stay the night somewhere else or go for on a school activity. Like those are extra anxious things. So that's good that you guys are, you know, also just trying to make it understandable. Yeah. And I think especially for Jerry's patients, like he had said, it's, um, his clients really relate to that because it's easy for him in the animal world to explain their pet's disease and how to manage it when he's living with it himself. So this is pretty common diabetes is in pets, unfortunately. And when Vivian was diagnosed, that was one of the, the first things that popped in my mind because I used to work in the hospital with him. I was essentially the nurse for the animals and um, clients would call and they would say, my pet is drinking a lot and urinating a lot. And, you know, we would immediately get them appointment, but we all knew what that diagnosis was going to be when they walked in the door. So it is a very shock and awe moment when it happens to you yeah. <laughs> and your child. <laughs> well, and so, you know, kind of to that end, like, I, I want to keep make sure we keep moving, but like there's on the other side of it, I, you know, I've, I'm Mr. Diabetes, I guess that's my, you know, when I, I joke about that with my friends and people who are not involved in the community, that's like a huge thing that I do. And one of our, we hired a guy at my company who, uh, earlier this summer, whose dog was very old and had type one and you know, I was, I messaged Jerry. I was like, Hey, do you have, do you have any advice that I could give this guy, uh, from a veterinary veterinary perspective? Cause I just don't want to throw out a bunch of diabetes advice for his aging dog. Who's, you know, really on his poor guy was just an old, old, old dog and had lived a long time. And this was probably the end and diabetes ended up being the, you know, type two diabetes ended up being the, the thing that, that obviously, you know, was the reason he passed away. But you know, I was like, hey, yeah, let's put a CGM on him and see what happens. I saw this koala bear wear it, and, you know, yeah. might as well. And I, and I, But I also was trying to have to tread softly because I didn't want to just, you know, throw a bunch of overwhelming uh, information at this guy who was coming to work for me, hopefully for a long time. So one right. of those careful balances. <laughs> but no, yeah, CGMs and pets are, I mean, they definitely need to happen more. I know Jerry started using them on his patients, but they do need to happen more because from the nurse side of working with animals, we would do blood glucose curves on pets, mostly cats. It was usually cats that would be diagnosed with diabetes. Um, and they would have to spend the entire day with us in the hospital. And we would, you know, feed them on a schedule, give them insulin on a schedule, and then check their blood sugars every two hours for 10 to 12 hours. And those results from that one day would be how the doctors would base their insulin dosing. And now I look at that and I'm like, Oh my God, like, no, <laughs> they need CGMs for sure <laughs> because not every day is the same. And we know that. And it, and it, and it doesn't, I mean, in type one or type two, it doesn't matter. And so I definitely think that CGMs need to come into the pet world, but it's kind of a touchy subject for some people because insurance is, yep not easy for humans to get it. Um, I don't think a lot of people though look at it that the, the patients in the animal world who are wearing it, those, those people are paying out of pocket for those insurance isn't covering their sure. CGM for the pet either. So they just decided that that would be the easiest thing for them 
Or if you happen to have a veterinarian who's type one and he has maybe a Libra laying around somewhere. <laughs> right. Well, you know, and, you know, I don't want to devolve totally off topic into t- treating diabetes with pets and how, you know, we, we could do better with that. Yes. But, uh, yeah, I, it just made sense to me. I was like, yeah, I don't want to have to prick this dog's paw every couple hours to get a glucose uh, curve for the day. Like, let's just throw a Libre on him and scan it. <laughs> It won't hurt him, I promise. That's what I was like. I was trying to explain to my coworker. I was like, "Yeah, hey, uh, it's not gonna hurt him. It'll be fine. Trust me. I wear one or I wear a ACGM. It'll be it'll be fine." Exactly. Okay, so uh, moving moving forward, what uh, what is the simplest thing that either you have done, Jerry, or that uh, Sam, you guys have gotten done with the girls uh, that a, that a person living with uh, yeah here we go that has helped you guys with the management of type one diabetes? Where did you learn it, or who showed it to you? I don't know if it's necessarily – for me, I guess it would be self-taught, uh, just trial and error, but just pre-bolusing. I mean, that's – that made such a big difference in my – I mean, you look at numbers, but um, it, A1Cs in that regard. And then especially once you had a CGM on board and saw what was happening if you didn't pre-bolus. <laughs> so that that would be – for me, the simplest thing. And how um, how long before a meal do you pre-bolus, give or take? So what, what are your What are your rules for pre-bolusing? Um, I, I say I was put on Humalog right after it came out because it was ninety six in in my pump, so I probably didn't pre-bolus for at least a good year or two. But afterwards, it was just a matter of knowing that it takes about thirty minutes. So either as I'm cooking it or as many college students do uh, about 20 minutes before I went through the drive through <laughs> knowing what I'm going to eat and then pre-bolusing for it. Um, that way that it's like I say insulin's on board and working before it gets in your system versus trying to play the whole catch up game. Great. And, and, uh, Sam, what about you? Do you think do you have one anything for you and the girls? I think honestly, um, I was scared to death in the beginning after Vivian was diagnosed. I was um, because we weren't on a pump right away. We didn't have a CGM right away. So chasing a two-year-old around the house, giving her injections and checking her blood sugars when she was still, you know, she still somewhat is too young to comprehend it, but. It's just, you know, mommy and daddy are poking me and hurting me, and I don't understand why. And <clears throat> it was harder for me. I think a lot of people thought that I was going to be a step ahead because Jerry lives with the disease already. Um, and I think he kind of thought that himself. But very quickly, we learned that being diagnosed as an adult, essentially as he was, and then having a child diagnosed is very different and <laughs> pre-bolusing and things like that were not always realistic because especially when she didn't have a CGM because you don't know if they're going to eat. Um, toddlers tend to graze and she definitely was a normal toddler who grazed on food all day. So it was hard to withhold certain foods from her at times because I didn't know she would finish it and giving her insulin after the fact, it was just, I mean, I look back at some of the, the graphs that I would screenshot and take pictures of and think, 
oh, wow. Like, you know, now I would definitely have managed that a lot differently. But about six months in, I started listening to a podcast for parents um, called Bold with Insulin. Um or um, Juice Box podcast. Yeah, Scott Benner's podcast. Yeah. yeah, sorry. <laughs> and um, listening to other parents talk about how they manage this disease helped give me the confidence to do it myself. And having Jerry there as a safety net helped me kind of accelerate it. And then it had this beautiful domino effect of, you know, as I got better at managing Vivian's type one, he, maybe it was a little competitive. He <laughs> started managing himself better. The more I learned about how insulin works and how certain foods work with her, she, you know, got on a pump about six weeks after she was diagnosed and she was on a CGM about four or five weeks after she was diagnosed, I believe. So, um, and I, I would say that that was probably one of the, the best things that happened to me. So now I definitely encourage parents with children who are diagnosed to definitely take a listen to podcasts, all podcasts, because you can learn so much information from even young adults, other parents that are treating the same disease and living through it just like you. I mean, you, you benefit a lot from that and enfold your child and their health benefits. And in our situation, Jerry benefited. <laughs> Friendly competition of A1Cs. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I uh, when I, I went to again, I'm I, this episode is off the rails. We're having a great time. Um, I went to ADA conference this year uh, in Florida for the first time, and I found this board. I was looking at all these boards that people submit of research that they're trying to. Uh, get more funding for and it's sort of like a science fair of research it's pretty amazing but one of them that stuck out to me was uh are is there a link between diabetes blogs and better outcomes better a1c outcomes sure and mm-hmm. i knew the answer because i'd experience i experienced it for myself which i'm just now going to call the the jerry uh, the jerry principle um is that when you start to become more involved with diabetes social media diabetes podcasts diabetes blogs you people who do that have better a1c outcomes than people who don't and i'm you know my my a1c dropped down a little bit and flattened out after i started doing that i'm I'm living proof so i gotta say the jerry principle works it it does because i tell my clients knowledge is power walking out the door knowing why and like you said, who, what, when, where, and why, um, people can be a little more compliant as to why we're doing this or what we're doing this for, how it's going to improve you. Um, that's, uh, that's one of my biggest things with my clients. Knowledge is power. If you know what you're giving this medication for, you're more likely to finish that prescription versus, well, this is the antibiotic. Well, no, that's actually a pain control. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, knowing the tools that are available out there, I did not know. I only had what, you know, the pump that Jerry was on, the CGM that came with his Medtronic pump that he never wore because at the time he called them harpoons, I think. They just were not very reliable. They were painful. 
Um, so when Vivian was diagnosed and somebody told us about Dexcom, he immediately switched to Dexcom. And then he also, cause he's just an awesome dad, switched to Omnipod too, because that's what Vivian was going to wear. So that way she would feel more comfortable about wearing these devices on her body because daddy was wearing them too. And that, that was a huge help. Um, you know, they do site changes together and that I think helped her adjust probably a little sooner than most kids. Um, but we're also very, in, in all the life struggles that we had, because at the time, and this is way off, but at the time that Vivian was diagnosed, we, she, we had a new baby. I was diagnosed with cancer. I was going through chemo and radiation. We had my sister living with us because she was helping me take care of the new baby. Jerry had just opened a brand new business. It was just a storm of things that were happening in our house, but we're not the type of people that let really anything defeat us. It's, this is what it is and we're going to make the best of each day no matter what. And I think that that also is why Vivian is who she is and where she is in this disease. Um, because we are, we're, you know, this is life and this is what we have and we want to make the most of it. Jerry is a perfect example of that because he's never allowed this disease to tell him what he's going to do. I love it. Uh, and I also like just the idea of, you know, getting plugged into the right resources for you and just uh, back to Jerry's comment about knowledge being power. Uh, there was a time where I only interacted with diabetes when I went to my endo every three to six months. And that was the only diabetes education I got. So of course I'm managing it better now that I interact with people on a daily basis. And there's resources like uh, Scott's podcast, which I think is so good for parents or Stacy's podcast, which is great sort of all around, um, which is uh, diabetes connections, I think. And, um, and then, you know, my podcast is awesome, guys. Don't let's be of honest. Course like, it is. Uh, no, I uh, do. I'm just kidding. I, yeah, I absolutely that I think that's why I'm connected to so many on social media, why I connect to so many adults living with type one. Um, because I want all the information that I can get. And and you're right. I mean, the endocrinologist for Jerry too is basically going in and getting a prescription. But now he goes in and he talks about all you know, he's a looper and he goes in and he talks about looping. I mean, he gives his endocrinologist probably more information than she gives him. Um, and that wouldn't happen if it wasn't for the connections, um, that we've made since Vivian's been diagnosed. I mean, I'm, I am so incredibly grateful for every age of people that I've met living with this disease, because it gives me perspective for my child, but also for my husband, what to expect when my daughter grows up. I mean, there, you know, I, like Marie, you know, I'm, I watch her go through running the marathon or going to college and all of those things. And it kind of, she's so real and open. It gives you a really good perspective as a parent is kind of what you hope to expect for them when your child grows up and goes to college, I guess, if that makes sense. No, it's perfect. All right, I'm gonna get back to my questions here, or else you and uh, this is gonna be yes. this is gonna be like the least for the least formatted tools of type ones interview. <laughs> uh, 
Sorry. No, no, no. It's so good. I, I, I can't help myself. No, it's very good. You guys are. You. We really are doing great. Um, okay. What is what failures or apparent apparent failures with type one have made you better at living the rest of your life, or made you more well rounded as a person or parent? Mm, you want me to answer that? I can answer what idea I have in my head. Um, I honestly, I think for me very early on in the, just the panic and the paranoia of where Vivian's blood sugars were and how to manage it and how trying to get perfection, um, because I was constantly watching Dexcom and just when things weren't working out the way that I did, it would make me very frustrated. And her doctor, she sees Dr. Ponder, um, the first time that I went in, and saw him with Vivian, one of the things that he said to me that just, it's always stuck with me. And I know I've heard other people mention it too, but it's a marathon, not a sprint. And I had to really let that sink in and it didn't happen overnight, but eventually it did kind of calm my paranoia, I guess, of, of how I manage her and I manage her better because of it. Um, I, I no longer set those unrealistic expectations. So that is, to me, I feel like in the beginning where I maybe kind of failed in managing her, although I don't know that that's the right word to say, but I, I, I now, it's one of the first things that I tell parents that are just, you know, glued to Dexcom and watching it every five minutes and get so upset when things don't work out the way that it is, is just keeping that in mind that it is a marathon and not a sprint and that you will get better over time um, at figuring out things and eventually learning how to teach them how to figure those things out to manage themselves. So it's a learning curve. I mean, pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for, for me, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll take it from the, uh, the doctor or technical perspective site changes Holy smokes. And granted, I had okay insurance through my dad, but when insurance changed, I had to get it on my own and paying for it on my own in college. I mean, I would fill that three mil cartridge up and I would not change my site till that was empty. <laughs> and I got a six pack of scar tissue to prove it. <laughs> so after, um, Actually, honestly, getting put on a pod where once that pod is done three days, you're you're done. No matter how much insulin's left in there, um, I saw my my sugars do better. My diabetes was better. I felt better. Um, so I forcibly put myself in that position once I've gone back on a tubed pump, just to say, okay, it's just it'd be better just to take it out and change it whenever you're supposed to. That would be one of the biggest things I've learned as the diabetic myself. Awesome. What un, do you guys have any unusual or absurd opinions or approach approaches regarding uh, diabetes? Hmm. This is a, this is a, this is a clip. This is a clickbait. This is a clickbait one. It, it certainly is. Hmm. I think for me, it's, it's being the scientist, it's the causes, the cause and effect and getting to the bottom of what those causes are. I mean, I've got my 
I guess, theories, whether or not they'll ever be, I guess, somewhat investigated just because of how big oil and gas is. Um, I mean, I grew up in Corpus, and every one of my cousins has an autoimmune disease, uh, somewhat in the thick of oil and gas. Um, I think you know, this goes back to the whole Aaron Brockovich stuff. I mean, you, you are what you eat and drink. So um, whether it was rheumatoid arthritis, Hashimoto's, uh, one of my cousins had, uh, gosh, what is it, the multi-endocrine neoplasia syndrome, um, and his doctors thought he was celiac, just celiac, and totally missed it. Uh, so it was, it's, it's, it's interesting. But yeah, I could sit and talk for hours on just that little topic. <laughs> Um, okay, let's shift gears. What's your favorite thing? What gets you guys to smile or laugh almost all the time? This can be diabetes related or not. For I like this is so easy for me. I have this. It's I think it's a fun obsession. Other people might look at it as an unhealthy one, but when because I follow Vivian and uh, Jerry on my phone on Share, and when they're twinning, when their numbers, which happens all the time I to me it's like the funniest most enlightening part of my day <laughs> I don't know why I feel like they have this crazy special connection because their blood sugars will ride almost side by side for so long and I just screenshot it constantly to the point where now if I miss something and Jerry catches it he'll screenshot it and then text it to me. <laughs> so I have this weird log of screenshots of Dexcoms that I have no idea what I'm going to do with, but I just keep them. <laughs> That's kind of crazy. And when I talk about it out loud, I sound really crazy. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is what these interviews are for. This is to un uncover the crazy fun gems. This is great. Yeah, uncovering all my deepest, darkest secrets. <laughs> I mean, for me, is is blessing and a curse, I guess you can say. Um, it the curse is what will make me cry, but it's, I, I, I live with the diabetic now. <laughs> Vivian's his diabetic. Yeah. Well, at, for you as a, I mean, because I, you know, I, I don't think I've ever interviewed a type one, uh, a type one dad about his type one child. What was that like? I can't imagine that was, and, I, you know, I don't imagine it gets easier, although as she gets older, things, you know, as we as you mentioned earlier, Sam, you know, it's different being 18 versus being 18 months uh, or a young, a young child. What was that like for you as a as a dad, as a, you know, just. You it, know, it was definitely different. I said when I when I was diagnosed, it was more of a because I was going in the medical field. It was kind of a fun project for myself, <laughs> but to come home and have um, your daughter yelling, Daddy, don't hurt me. And that, just, that, that really resonated at home. <laughs> yeah. Where I was trying to help her, she just didn't understand it. And even though doctors would say, well, that'll be her new normal one of these days, it's like, well, that's, it's not normal. He's a pretty stoic guy, so it was hard to 
see him, I feel like blame himself for it. That's, that's kind of, I think he had a lot of guilt. I think he carried a lot of guilt for a long time, which was another great thing about getting out into the community because I think that that helped lighten that guilt a little bit. Um, because he, I did not realize, and I think that that's another reason why I pushed him so hard to get involved with people. And another reason why I reached out to so many adults living with type one, because Jerry did not have that connection with other people. And I didn't realize until Vivian was diagnosed how isolating it, it really can be. And I really felt like he needed that. And I think that it also helped him feel a little less guilty about it. Because when he, when he was diagnosed, he was told he was just kind of a fluke case. He tested really high positive for the coccyx virus, I believe, on his lab work. So they kind of just said, well, you're, you know, this fluke case of diabetes brought on by the coccyx virus. And this isn't anything that's genetic or passed on or anything like that. And then as an adult, and when you go into college, it's not something your endocrinologist talks to you about. So because he is such a knowledge is power type of guy, I feel like that is where that guilt came from, that he feels like maybe he should have known yeah. But we're over that. We've moved on and we're happy. And I mean, we've met the most amazing people and done the most amazing things. And, and that's that. I mean, it's life. It is. And I mean, um, you know, thank you guys for, for digging in a little deep with me there. Um, <laughs> It's important to talk about, you know, it's, it's, uh, there is guilt associated. There is a lot of weight that people carry outside of, outside of just the day-to-day management, you know, it's, uh, and it's important to talk about. Yeah. Um, in the last five years, I mean, I feel like this is going to be a, a very, uh, you guys are gonna have a really good answer to this question. What new adjustment to your lifestyle has improved with your life with diabetes the most? Would it be adding a second person with diabetes to your life? <laughs> right. <laughs> For, for, forcing the, I mean, I'm a, I'm a technophile as it is. I love, I mean, I can say I, I, I pushed, I won't say pushed, but Ponder put me on a pump after my first appointment. So, um, when I, I would say Desatronic went out of business and I, I went on a Medtronic pump and as soon as a CGM was available, I was put in line to do it, even though it hurt the, the Jesus out of me and it was just inaccurate. But, um, but no, just the techno- technological advances and kind of staying on top of that. And then going from, I mean, I, I was on a 670 and uh, loved it. And then when I met Eric, <laughs> he kind of introduced me to Loop. And uh, I'm, I'm a numbers kind of guy. This is the scientist in me. And being able to see all of that information just a little differently and a little more detailed um and just trying it and it, it like I say being able to build this from your watch and your phone yeah 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 it's it's all fun and games but just just seeing the difference in my a1c and seeing the difference in how I felt and sleeping through the night uh, without hardly any worries um, and just knowing that that's you know, kind of kind of Star Trek is here it's just it's gonna be a matter of time before it's gonna be a lot more simpler. Uh, for Vivian as she gets gets older and hopefully a cure 
in the not too distant future. Um, but yeah. Uh, what bad advice regarding diabetes do you guys see or do you hear or have encountered anything that triggers you? <laughs> I think that chuckle was, uh, you know, those answers, <laughs> just the stereotypes. I mean, all, all of the ones that you typically will see. And believe me, I hear a lot more of them with Sam being more into social media and just the hot buttons. And I mean, just to show how much my family didn't understand it at all. I mean, granted, it's my stepmother and we really didn't have that big of a relationship, but she, she piped in and was like, well, can't we just put her on like a, a keto diet and that'll fix her? <laughs> Mm. Uh, Vivian was diagnosed so it, it, it again it always kind of boils down to they're just not enough out there in the sense of uh, uh, I guess differentiating between type 1 type 2 and just what diabetes is in general and how it's not a matter of just taking one medication two times a day and you're all good <laughs> it, it's a it's a very fluid disease that changes minute by minute based off of how you feel or what you're doing, exercising, or just having fun in general. I think I'm going to add something to that. I think from a parent's perspective, one of the things that I hear bad advice come from, unfortunately, is a lot of parents of newly diagnosed kids from their endocrinologist. Um, I, I, it, and maybe it comes from the knowledge that I have now, but the waiting to dose them until after. And, and then the really young, I think that that's important because, you know, in the beginning it was important for us. But in the years of CGMs, I feel like parents should be given more knowledge about how to better manage their children's diabetes because of the CGM. So being a little less fearful of maybe pre-bolusing them or, um, you know, if they're just having crazy numbers for multiple days on end, but, you know, I'll hear parents say, well, I can't make any adjustments because we don't see our endocrinologist for another three months. And that's so discouraging to me. And I understand that there's a liability involved in it, but I really do wish that more CDEs and more endocrinologists would have that conversation. We're, we're very fortunate because Dr. Ponder is very open to conversations like that. His CDEs live with type one as well. So they're very open to conversations like that. Um, but yeah, I really wish that I wish that those doctor's offices had a little bit more involvement in the type one community so that they could help, parents better understand no i think and i totally agree with that i think it's uh it's a slowly but surely type of thing and i think if it sounds like dr ponder's approach for him has has really opened up you know a different relationship with his patients than some other cdes have access to so it's yeah. one of those things that you know if i wish it was easier to get and reach those people. That's something that keeps me up at night is how do I reach the silent majority of people living with diabetes rather than the ones that I interact with people like you who are like in the top 5% of all knowledge and resources associated with diabetes, which is tends to be the people I interact with the most, which is great. And I'm grateful for, 
Um, but you know, I got to figure out a way to figure out where those, how to reach those people on the other end of the spectrum as well. Yeah. And it starts with their, uh, endos, unfortunately. Uh, and I got to figure out a way to get through to them. Um, okay. Let's keep on moving. Um, what, who is someone you look up to and what have they taught you? Um, how did you, and how have you applied it to, uh, to your life or life with diabetes? I don't know. You have anybody you look up to? You look up to Vivian, huh? I, I do. <laughs> yeah, that's a great answer. And her, her audacity and her, her <laughs> spunk and charisma, and how we, we think it can be dramatic at times for pump changes and CGM changes, and but she pushes through it, and then just how much of an advocate she is for type one. I mean, if she walks. We went to the park the other day and probably, oh, I don't know, six, seven kids. She rounded them up so she could tell them about type 1 and show her her CGM and show her her pump and kind of talk about it. I mean, it's just, it, she inspires me. She inspires me too. I'm also inspired by you. Eric, Marie, like all these amazing people, Mary Lucas, um, I mean the entire Lucas family, they're like the most amazing, but it's just all of the people that I've connected with are just, they're, I'm, I really am like your biggest fan and very inspired and look, um, I don't know. I just, I see so many positives in these relationships that we've built. It's just too many to count and we don't have that much time, <laughs> <laughs> but I was grateful to be, you know, an honorary brunch member at the brunch club and just getting to know everybody. And, you know, knowing now how many years Jerry kind of lived in isolation with this disease. Um, I don't want I don't want anybody to ever feel like that. And so I think that's why I push so hard too to support so many people in the type one community. Um and and I think that's where a lot of our connections were made. But I, I genuinely am your biggest fan because man, I know I know what I know without living with it, but for managing Vivian what y'all go through to be awesome every day. <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> I will say, I guess on the somebody that shares a passion of mine, the sense of flying, Jeremy over in Australia. I mean, he, you've uh, done a podcast with him and going, doing what he loves, and then turning around and becoming an aviation medical examiner and, and trying to change the the future for us and for for us as type ones, there are now eight countries that allow us to sit in, as we say, the, the left seat and be captains of our own airplanes or work for airlines, uh, in that sense. Um, that's, like I say, I, I love what he's doing and I'm in the process of, of making that change myself. My, my application is submitted and is sitting in Washington waiting for, FAA to get their stuff together and, and start looking at that and trying to break the, the, I guess the, the stigma or, or negativity that they see what they kind of call diabetes 
that is treated with insulin. I understand they don't want a hypoglycemic event to end up in an airplane crashing somewhere. Uh, there's definitely steps that are taken and there's guidelines that are made. Uh, so I understand that. But I mean, looking at his CGM data, my CGM data, what they're looking for, we, we meet and exceed. And I'm sure they're the 50 other applications that are sitting at Washington are probably the same way. If, if somebody's passionate about it enough. And, you know, I can't, I couldn't agree more with that statement. I think like Jeremy echo, uh, Jeremy and people like him, I can't even imagine how much better my life. It's, I'm so glad I'm doing this because I get to meet people like that. People like you. Um, just, I mean, the guy, the guy's life story, I, I could tell it all day. I hope one day I can just be his like, manager or something because the guy, <laughs> guy lives his entire life to be a pilot makes it happen for himself is living his absolute dream to the ninth degree and and then it's taken away from him and he doesn't pout about it he just decides to go to medical school instead yeah. <laughs> and change it for people uh, yeah. like come on i'll i'll sell that to hollywood all day let's go <laughs> let's make it happen right right um Okay, what uh, what are you most hopeful for? I mean, I think obviously we you know we talk about uh, a cure and everything, but this can be diabetes related or not. Just a better understanding of the disease, making it more widespread knowledge, and it being, like I said, I, I think that's why we love um, being a part of Beyond Type One. Just the again, the knowledge is power. Letting letting people really understand it is. Quick, simple, and and to the point. That way, that it's not. I, I can make things a lot more complex than they should be, just because of the scientist in me. But just letting them know the cause and effect, and that's how the disease is. Uh, and what advice would you give to someone who has type one uh, and is trying to pursue a career in your line of work or even uh, your passions or, you know, uh, just as a type one parent? It's a good Jerry question. Cause he, <laughs> as Sam says, I mean, I never, never let diabetes kind of be my, kind of guiding stick I just it, it was something that was a part of me but I, I did I, I did me I did what I do um, and didn't let it stop me I mean I was denied probably eight times by FAA but I wouldn't a let lot. that uh, stop me from pursuing a passion of at least just recreational flying and and doing um, you can say the, the, the pilots for pause and, and those type of things being involved in, in that type of thing, getting, getting pets out of areas that are going to be put to sleep and rehoming them and getting them into homes that they would not have otherwise. I, I think in adding, I, for his birthday, like two years after him and I were together, I didn't, um, what do they call those? Discovery, Discovery flight. flight for his birthday not realizing what a challenge it was going to be for him to get his pilot's license. It's like, oh, this will be a birthday present for you to get them started on that. Because like I said, I never really had an understanding of what um, type one diabetes was. And oh man, did that, um, it really set him off. I think that it really 
them telling him no, not one time, but eight times, um, it really sparked a fire in him, I guess, that, you know, absolutely not. Diabetes is not going to hold me back. It didn't hold him back from vet school. It didn't hold him back from pursuing his MBA, opening up his own practice. Like, I'm incredibly proud to be married to Jerry Brzozowski. <laughs> oh my gosh. You guys are going to, I'm tearing up over here. This is great. <laughs> um, what's, what's one facet or trait that makes you uniquely you? Um, what makes you, and I think, you know, Jerry, you talked a lot about kind of the scientist in you. Um, what about you, Sam? What do you guys think? I'm very stubborn. So I would say equally to him when somebody tells me no, or, Oh, that just seems like it would be too hard to do or too much. I make it my mission to prove them wrong, (laughs) which is probably why I are, I, I got our family so heavily involved and, and so much like beyond type one family council. Um, we're co-chairs for, our local JDRF for the JDRF walk. Um, I mean, if there's something, I think Greg Dooley said it. I'm, I am like the, the party donation party planner. Um, like we, (laughs) I can throw a party to help raise money or Jerry, the bears or things like that. I think I, I, if, Somebody says, oh, well, it might be too hard to do. I'm like, well, no, it won't be. And I'm going to do it really good just to prove to you that it wasn't that hard to do. I don't know. I don't want my children to ever, you know, look at this disease as something that stops them from doing things. And, you know, my pancreas works. I don't have to, to live with those challenges. And so I feel this need to do things extra. <laughs> I guess that would be it. I don't know. That didn't seem very exciting. <laughs> no, it, uh, of course. And I mean, you know, I think when people ask me like, Hey, you know, how did you start a successful podcast or, you know, how did you get start doing that? I was like, honestly, the only thing that makes it remotely successful is that I refuse to stop doing it. <laughs> Just very stubborn. Yeah. Uh, and that's a skill. That's a, that is a hundred percent a skill. Uh, I, I'm really curious or not curious necessarily, but I, I'm really excited to hear you guys' answer to my bonus question, which is where do you get plugged into the T1D community the most? Cause I think you guys do a ton all the way down to your license plate, vanity plate. Um, I mean like just being involved. Uh, and I think people often ask me how I do that and, and how to get started, but I'm really excited to kind of hear what you guys would say to, to that question. I, I think we're not just sayers, we're doers. Um, and I, I noticed that a lot, especially when it, it came to like volunteering for certain things at like camps or walks and things like that. Um, I, it was, there was a lot of people that said, Oh, you know, absolutely. I'm going to help. I'm going to do this. I want to help do this. Um, but didn't always show up. And I, I, saw that kind of early on and very quickly I was like, I don't, 
I don't want to just promise somebody something. I want to fulfill that promise for them. So, you know, I'm somebody who's very loyal to her word. So if I say I'm going to be there to help you, it's going to take a lot to hold me back from being there to help you. So I think for us getting involved, it stuck because we consistently got involved and really got involved. Um, you know, asking the right people maybe at the right place at the right time. Um, but if somebody, if somebody sends me a message, um, like my whole connection to you was through Marie and Eric. Um, you know, Marie sent me a message through social media. Hey, there's this guy named Eric who's going to be in your area and he really wants to meet you and your family. I'm, you know, maybe some people would look at that and be like, okay, (laughs) really go anywhere with it. But I'm like, sure. Yeah. And then like a week later, Jerry's telling me he's going to come and he's going to stay with us for a week. I'm like, okay. You know, I'm very open to things like that. And I think that that's where it comes from. We put ourselves out there and we really put ourselves out there and we really do, you know, go forward with supporting the community and mean it. I mean, we flew all the way up to New York to hold some really cool signs that Sarah Jensen made to cheer on all the awesome marathon runners that were running for beyond type one. And it was the most amazing experience. So. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I I think Erica could probably speak with more clarity than I can of like the first time I met you guys, you not only did Jerry fly up here with, uh, in like a rainstorm and like high winds. Uh, but then Sam, you guys drove as well with the girls and we scratched, (laughs) we scratched our, uh, skydives because it was too windy and then we just went to have brunch and then everybody just left and went home. And I remember explaining it like after to my parents at the air, I was like, Hey, there's these, these people, these amazing people that I met. And they just like the amount of effort that they put into getting up here to skydive. And then, you know, when we couldn't do it and they were still like, not really that bummed, they were just like super cool about it. And I was like, I need to be way more like these people. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so, I- yeah. It is. It's important to me for our kids to see that. Like, you know, things aren't always going to work out the way that you make the best of it. You just make the best of it. And we had a, we still had the best time. I mean, we started a club, a brunch club. And (laughs) to me, I think that that, that's the, I don't know, the the greatest caveat to it all. I don't know. I want her to, I, I don't ever want her to feel isolated. I want her to always feel like she is part of this wonderful community. And so, you know, me showing her is, is the best way for that to happen. I think. No, it's too true. And, um, you know, like, like all those meme quotes, whoever actually said it, no one actually knows. I'm sure, but life's whatever, 90% how you or 10% what happens to you and 90% how you react. And, um, I'm a big believer in that. Yes, us too. Like 100% for sure. All right, Brzezowski's. 
we've we've reached the the end. It's time for you to plug yourself. Uh, where can we find you on social media? Uh, how do we get Jerry to come pick us up in our local regional airport? What's the what are the secrets? How do we put up the signal? I mean, that, that him picking you up in an airplane. You do not need to twist your, his arm for that. Like he. He needs absolutely no reason or excuse to fly. It's hard to keep his feet on the ground. So <clears throat> he's happy to fly and pick anybody up. And you can find him on Instagram. <laughs> he's he's slowly starting to get into the social media. Yeah, social as, media as, world. as a technophile, I was never that big on social media. I know when MySpace came out and then Facebook, I'm like, I don't have time for this. This is a little <laughs> odd. And Wait, Jerry, you had a MySpace? <laughs> I, no, I, I didn't because it was like, what in the world is this? Who, who's going to want to look at this? So I didn't even bother with it. <laughs> so I guess from there, I just I, I just never got into it until I met my wife. And so, but yeah. Mm, but she, he's already G.W. Brzozowski. Everything. So that's <laughs> how I was the trick is for uh, people to spell the last name correctly because right. that's what both of us are, are under I'm Just, S. Brzozowski he's G.W. Brzozowski a little bit easier now that the Subaru has a B-R-Z <laughs> always tell people I'm a little bit of a car fanatic as well so yeah we're, we're both under under Brzozowski's on Instagram I do have I do say um, I think it, it, I don't know how that pops up though on her name, but it says type wild family. I'm, that comes from, I was obsessed as a child and now my children are obsessed with, um, where the wild things are, the, mm -hmm. the book. Um, so that's kind of where that comes from, but also because all middle, middle children, and I, I fully believe this now because Vivian is our middle child, they're a little wild. She is. She is definitely a wild child, as you know. You've you've met her. Pretty sure she was climbing like two stories up on something at one of the places we were eating brunch. So, <laughs> I, yeah, just you turn around for one second, and then uh, yeah. there she goes. There she goes. Yeah, yeah. So that's where that where that comes from. But yes, uh, S underscore Brzozowski, and for Jerry, it's G W Brzozowski. But again, that last name it's a tricky one. You know, like I said, you don't have to do much. I took my um, brother-in-law to Dublin for uh, Thanksgiving. He's, he drinks a six-pack of Dr. Pepper a day. And the, the, the local little airport had a, a feral cat, so I, I guess I, I, I told him I'd help him out. So I'm flying up there at some point to get him, get him fixed, and take him back. Oh, this is news to me, Rob, as we're having this conversation. I did not know he was doing that. So it doesn't take much to get me in the air. <laughs> You will neuter your cat. So if you have a cat that needs to be neutered, Jerry will fly and neuter your cat for you. Heck yeah. I feel like I just got like a very a very intimate look at how some conversations in the Brzozowski household get broached. Like, oh yeah, by the way, I gotta go take this cat. By the way, I'm flying to Dublin next week to neuter a cat. Jeez. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> this is not, that's our life. <laughs> Uh, guys, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. I uh, long overdue and just exceeded my every expectation, uh, as is the Brzozowski way. You guys are just awesome, and I'm so glad to have met you and looking forward to uh, any type of interaction or collaboration or just brunch that I can have with you guys. 
we will never have a real dinner meal uh, in a restaurant. As long as we are friends, we will always eat brunch. That is just my yeah. uh, promise to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I like that idea. That's good. Yes. Ditto. Thank you for listening to the Tools of Type 1's podcast on diabetics doing things. I'm Rob Howe. And every Tuesday and Thursday in 2019, we are posting the next Tools of Type 1 episode. So you follow us on Instagram, hashtag Tools of Type 1s, or just on Diabetics Doing Things. We will post these regularly every Tuesday, every Thursday. My favorite Type 1s are answering the questions I want to know the answers to. And hopefully, you'll learn a few things as well. If you like this episode, be sure to review us on iTunes. Uh, and if you didn't like it, Uh, go ahead and let me know that too. I want to know. All the feedback is good to me. Thanks again for your time. I value that more than anything you could possibly give me. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.